0: Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Speak with Simon. I'm very pleased this morning to welcome Roger Cheetham to the show. Roger, you're a speaker and you speak on a topic that's becoming increasingly relevant in these times, and it's resilience. But for a lot of people, resilience might just be a word that they hear and they might not necessarily be familiar with what it looks like. Could could you take a few minutes to explain to us what resilience is and what it looks like in somebody's life, from your experience? Yes,
1: absolutely, Simon. And first of all, thank you very much for having me on your show this morning. When I speak about resilience, particularly in classrooms, I usually start with definitions because that's sort of what schools expect of you. So the dictionary definitions of resilience include the ability to return to normal after being bent, pulled or stretched, etc. And another one of the definitions is staying strong after something bad happens. I personally think with both of those things, although they're both all about keeping going and never giving up, they focus a little bit too much on the Adversity for me, and I'm a big believer that resilience is not just there for the bad times. So my own definition of resilience, not that I want to try and rewrite the dictionary or anything, is uh, not just about bouncing back from the bad times, but springing forward big time.
0: Mm. I really like that approach and, and it's interesting that you mention it's about returning after experiencing something challenging because I think a lot of people have a misconception of resilience in the sense of something bad happens and I'm not affected by it therefore that's resilience and and what I like about your definition and, and the way you've described it is that it's not about not experiencing the challenge and not feeling it as a challenge but it's about what you do when you have that what you do when it's on board and you've got to deal with it and, and Some people think there's some sort of immunity from challenge if you have resilience. And I don't think that's the case. Uh, And and certainly the way you've described it, I would would, uh, agree with you on that. And I think that's a really key definition. What advice would you do you or would you give to people? Who are suffering, perhaps because of this this pandemic? Maybe something they didn't see coming. Maybe something they didn't anticipate. And, and we all have experienced different challenges with it in one form or another. What advice are you giving to people at the moment in terms of dealing with it?
1: Great question, and it's probably what I couldn't talk on all day. So just to give you a couple of them, I would say first of all, one thing that I learned during my my own story, where my resilience developed, was to take the focus off yourself and to put it on others. So rather than feeling, first of all, mindset comes in there as well, rather than feeling that you're stuck at home, I would invite you to reframe that and consider yourself as safe at home. Mm. And rather than thinking about the isolation, about what you can't do anymore, I would first of all advise, put the focus on others that you can be of benefit and add value to and be of assistance to v- very much so i think that is very important indeed and also something we touched on there is looking how again to do things differently I, one of the one of the sort of pieces of advice that i'm giving frequently at the moment has to be not to focus on what you're not able to do it's on what you can do differently and also that social distancing does not have to mean social isolation. Mm. For Mm -hmm. those of us a little bit more tech savvy with Zoom and Skype and the likes, we can be in several countries having video calls, making that visual as well as audio connection with people around the world. Mm. And Mm -hmm. obviously the people of an older generation, I know this is a bit of a generalisation, a lot of them, Zoom and video calling, in some cases even texting or something like that with a phone is is a real stretch. So again, at the same time, looking at how you can do something different. Just give those people a good old-fashioned phone call because yours may well be the only voice that they're hearing that day. So again, just to stress, I'm a big advocate of the saying that social distancing does not have to mean social isolation.
0: Mm, absolutely i think that's a really key point and you've awakened in my memory there something when i I used to work and occasionally still do uh, in addiction recovery support groups helping people overcome those challenges and obviously resilience is a a key factor there and and one of the things we refer to is neba's serenity prayer where it talks about the serenity to accept the things you can't change the courage to change the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference. And, and sometimes we we spend and waste so much time and energy focusing on things that we can't change. And and that awakens such a frustration and, and a desire to, to try and uh, escape from a situation, whereas we're tending to focus on the things that we can't get around rather than what we can control. And sometimes we can make the situation more bearable by controlling the things That we can and and I'm so glad that you've mentioned that outward looking attitude because I think the last step in the in the program is about service is about looking outward and helping others because sometimes in looking outwards to others problems we gain perspective on our own and and that's certainly something that I've come to experience in in fact in even setting up this series by, by allowing other people to speak and learning from their experiences it's helped me to to get a greater passion and a greater appreciation for for what's going on out there. So really glad you're talking about this. And I think it's such a key message that that people need to take on board at the moment. I'm happy for you to to share as much or as little as you feel on this question. You speak on resilience. Why? (laughs) Well...
1: A very short question, potentially a very long answer because being a, a multi award winning international speaker for me, the, the challenge sometimes is not saying enough, it's keeping it brief enough. So, a uh, long story, very short I'm not someone who read about resilience in a textbook and went out and decided to start teaching it because I'm a big believer that if you're going to take that position at the front, whether that's an international stage or whether that's a classroom then you should be someone who is able to, or has, walked the walk, not just talk the talk. So taking you back to the 9th of June 2013, I'd been a publican, licensee, pub landlord, whatever the term may be, depending whereabouts you are in the world watching this. Took my beloved black and white Patterdale Terrier dog, Jasper, for a walk at the end of the evening left as a dog walker, and during that walk, there were three other people who had other ideas for us, and it wasn't until it was too late, you'd have seen the fear come into my eyes, seen the sweat forming on my brows, the three of, us, the three of them moved in on us, and I noticed they were all wearing masks and balaclavas, brandishing fence posts and baseball bats. It was obviously... Not an option that we are going to be able to fight back or flee, so we just had to stand there and take the attack. And I don't want to go into too much detail, because I'm not sure what age group or how squeamish your audience are, but suffice to say that attack led to three months plus in hospital, and most of it in isolation, as in addition to the several broken bones, the fractured eye socket, the type 2 diabetes, the sleep apnea that I developed all as a result of that attack. On top of all that, as that wasn't enough, I managed within a week of being in there to go and contract myself MRSA. Yay me! So that led to three months of isolation and that's why I think people are now coming to me as the go-to person about resilience in times of isolation because it is something that I experienced and that was sort of three months plus where I had to find the resilience to survive. Six operations each over 12 hours in length I had to find the resilience to cope with the loneliness and isolation between visiting hours and particularly overnight and when I share this story with year six students they find the despite everything I've just described, they find the real test of my resilience, the fact that that isolation room was underground, so I had no Wi-Fi, I had no data signal, and therefore couldn't access social media Mm -hmm. or the internet. In fact, I couldn't even do anything as basic as send a text message or make a good old-fashioned phone call. And despite everything I went through, it always makes me smile when the year sixers always think that that is the real test Mm -hmm. of the resilience. So from there... Uh, Fast forward into the 18th of September that year, uh, I was finally discharged from hospital. I was absolutely full of ecstasy, the emotion, not the drug, just in case. (laughs) But, uh, But within a few days of being back home, it was a very different picture. You'd find me waking up in the morning, yeah, back at home, but not in the bedroom in the family living room which was also having to serve as my bedroom bathroom and toilet something known in medical terms as triangular living environment between bed wheelchair and the dreaded commode and I don't know what anyone else's definition of living is but that certainly wasn't mine mm-hmm. and that went on for over a year and I don't mind sharing that sharing that one room as a family living room and all those things to me wasn't just a test of my own resilience it was very much of a test of the resilience of my wife Claire and then 15 year old daughter Tash who was studying for her GCSEs at the time and I just want to take a moment to, to acknowledge Tash because when so many 15 year olds would have been thinking what's the importance of exams in the grand scheme of things, we don't even know whether my dad's going to live or not. She was very different, and her outlook was she was going to do the very best she could under the circumstances to add her exam results to the ever-growing long list of things I was proud of her for, and I'm able to sit and share with you today as one proud dad that she left school with 11 GCSEs at grade B and above, and most of them is So I couldn't be any more proud of her for that. And as I say, a long list of other things. Like it was at that point where I was having those moments at home, waking up as late as possible in the morning, staring at the Magnolia walls, reflecting my Magnolia existence before going back to sleep as early as possible, just to make the days short enough to get through that were actually the darkest times. It wasn't the time in hospital. I mean, I always joke about the time in hospital that I've had a lifelong fear of needles, Mm -hmm. but I still used to look forward to the phlebotomist coming round every other day to change my cannula because it was a different face to see. Mm -hmm. Whereas once Mm -hmm. we'd gone back to the home environment, people who had been good enough from the extended family and friends to come and visit me quite frequently in hospital felt that we needed time to rebond as a family unit. And from our point of view, we would have welcomed nothing more than the distraction of the occasional visitor. However, I think there's also a feel from our point of view that when people have visited you so often, you almost feel like you can't ask them to continue visiting you once you're back at home. And it was during these times of Magnolia reflection. Uh, I'm not going to introduce some sage here that waved a magic wand and sail was well as we often hear, but it was during this time that something did keep going through my mind over and over from many years past that people will do more for others than they will do for themselves, one of the pieces of advice I've already shared. And Initially, as I've touched on, that focus moved from myself to my wife, Claire, who really had been the wind beneath my wings, had been there by my bedside every time I wasn't under anaesthetic, and Tash, who had really applied herself to her exams. So, no way was I going to leave Claire without a husband and Tash without a dad
0: mm.
1: in those mm. times. And from there, I widened my focus to other people that I could help by sharing this story. And have gone from sharing it in classrooms, assemblies, college auditoriums, Mm -hmm. to networking events across the world. My biggest audience being an event that was attended by over 2,000 attendees from over 120 countries Mm -hmm. in Delhi, India this time last year. And whilst that would have been an honour at any time, given that was a all women's event Uh, as a male speaker that was an absolute honor to be able to go there Mm -hmm. and make that positive difference to that many people in one room at one time so in short the question why resilience (laughs) as I said for me that was quite a brief answer but hopefully that gives yourself and your audience context as to why resilience is so important to me and again Another piece of advice I would give on resilience is find a big enough why. So, for me, initially, it was giving Claire a husband and Tasha dad, moving on. It's been finding a why which is big enough to go from this just being a story to being something that is able to motivate and inspire our current and upcoming generations. And for me, there's not much bigger why than that.
0: Mm such such a humbling story and and so many different emotions as you you listen to what you've just described, you start with the the outrage of why somebody would choose or three people would choose to do to you what they did, but then there's obviously the, the the conflicting emotion of that is it's led to what you're now doing, which is inspiring so many people, and you'd never wish what happened to you on anybody, but when you see what you've done with it and what you've chosen to do and that's the key is what you've chosen to do with it through the trial and how many people you've inspired it's it's quite a an inspiring thing to listen to there's obviously the emotion of, of i'm a parent uh, like yourself and i have two children and i would hope that by the time they're 15 and, and go into their gcse's that if something happened to to me i could only hope that they would press on as your daughter did and, and make you proud in the way that she did and then there's obviously the the emotion of well, you can't possibly just begin to imagine the isolation and, and the challenge of of those days. I mean, I've had experiences in my life that have challenged me for short periods of time and, and really made me ask questions. But this this was a drawn out process of of years, and and yeah. that's such a a credit to you that you've you've taken something that that must have consumed your life for so long. And and you've turned it into something that, that, like you say, can can take rooms of people and can can do such amazing things. It's such a just you feel like standing on sacred ground and it, it's quite an extraordinary thing to listen to. But as I say, you often find that the biggest trials and challenges uh, make the strongest people. And, and you get that sense from you that you've used this experience uh so selflessly to give to, to others and, and to let them learn so that they don't have to perhaps learn it by going through something that, that you did, which is, for me, quite quite a sacrifice uh, that you'd be willing to share that because I had an experience a few years ago that was really tough for me and it took me a long time to talk about it. But as I started to talk about it, I found that that was where I was having my most meaningful connections. Yes. So let, let's say that there's somebody going through a a challenge in their own life at the moment it could be induced by the pandemic it could be something pre-existing we don't necessarily know but they are feeling that isolation that you describe and and they don't know where to go they don't know who to talk to they feel like they're on their own from somebody who's been in that position what would you advise them to do
1: great question Uh, I will share my own details in the in the comments be, below this so and uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me then please feel absolutely free to do so knowing that you're speaking to someone who has been through it if there is someone in your life that you feel able to open up to then please do so it's so important to remember that it is good to talk and depending the severity away or if you don't have anyone then there are some amazing organizations about such as the Samaritans which you're able to talk to who are professionally trained people who are there to provide a listening ear and I know it's a a very old cliche but a problem shared is indeed a problem halved and being able to share it with someone with specialist training such as the Samaritans I would strongly advise if you don't feel that you want to reach out to me personally and you don't feel there's anyone in your life that you're able to talk to, then please do connect with an organisation such as the Samaritans.
0: Mm. I mean, it's really, really key. And I love the fact that this conversation is happening at the end of what is Mental Health Awareness Week. And it, it sometimes feels a bit of a travesty that there's only a week where we raise awareness of it because obviously these challenges are, are year round. Um, but but I echo that sentiment. I think now more than ever is is a time where people uh, may be struggling in in this in the quiet in the in the silence and need more than ever to have those places to to reach out to. So I'm, I'm glad you've shared your your own details as well as those of the, the Samaritans. You've talked about. That, that you're, you're busier than, than you might otherwise have been because of the pandemic which, which in a way is encouraging because it shows that more people are recognizing the need for resilience. Do you think there's a difference between resilience on an individual level and resilience on an organizational level? How does resilience differ inside a business perhaps rather than just inside an individual in your experience?
1: Another great question, Simon, and I think for me, it's something I'm quite passionate about because when I speak with many of the organisations, global organisations at that, and mention Resilience, it's quite often their go-to place that they will start talking to me about business continuity and disaster recovery both of which I realise are very important and both of which I realise are very, very, very topical in these current times. However, I tend to go at it slightly different to that by politely reminding the employer that their employees are, in fact, people, and by building the resilience in their people at grassroots level, their, their people are more likely to roll out of bed and come to work then roll over and stay in bed which therefore means that they're not having to incur the additional expense of finding cover for people and pay the fees for recruitment agencies etc it also means that the ex- existing members of staff aren't having to do two people's work which therefore raises morale and means that they're not likely to go off sick Two, It also has been proved to show better staff retention, which is therefore saving uh, on those costs, and all those things put together increases to the company's what is that all-important bottom line. And if that can be done in a way, in a giving-back philanthropic way, by increasing the morale of their people along the way, then that is how I personally see resilience as being the future in organisations.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. As somebody who's worked in the education sector, uh, amongst teachers and amongst you know people, where resilience is a is a key factor in in seeing out a year and and getting those exam results or whatever it is that, that schools are focusing on, uh, it, it is very much that way. You, you sometimes don't realise how much resilience people are showing. Because sometimes they're not honest at work about the things that they're, they're facing. And it's easy to look at somebody who's come to work and think uh, everything's fine with them. And, and it's, just, it's just not sometimes. Um, and obviously, with being a teacher, there's obviously the students as well. I mean, you mentioned your daughter was a, a GCSE student. How many teachers would have looked at her and had any idea what was happening with her at home? And, and as somebody who's worked in education, I could only hope that that was treated sensitively and, and was somewhat... Uh, made aware to to, to the right people but it does reframe my my perspective as as a teacher that do I know my students well enough uh, to know that that they might be struggling with something like that and you almost want to treat them as though nothing's wrong but prepare in such a way that everything's wrong so that you can be in a best position to help somebody that's in that that predicament. I mean what what was her educational experience like in those times
1: I think like like with with all things Simon, to be honest, the teaching profession like any others, there are good and bad. There were some teachers who were really supportive as she needed it. There were some who could have been almost overbearing with their there, and there were others who were like, oh, just suck it up and get on with it, which mm. given what she was going through at the time was, was not the approach, so... Yeah, I, I saw the the good, the bad, and and the indifferent. To be honest, with with what she went through, I have to say from from that, it's it's more an experience I've had in the classroom where I've seen the the biggest significant difference. Just just touching on your teaching background, and there was a young man who we'll call Declan. It's not his real name, but we'll call him that for safeguarding purposes. And I gave my talk in his school. It was the first primary school that I'd spoken. So we're talking 10-year-olds because I normally share the talk for secondary schools because I usually share it in quite a a graphic way to get the message across. But this particular head teacher had said, no, we'll take responsibility. We want you to come in and share the no-holds-barred version of your story. We're a low-demographic school, in an ex-Yorkshire mining village and you will find that our 10-year-olds, because of that, are more streetwise than your actual sixth-form students. So therefore, we'd love you to come in and share that with them. And I went in and shared the the talk with them and there was a a young man there listening throughout the talk. Uh, This young man, we're referring to as Declan, was what in my day we would have known as the cock of the school. Mm. And he listened mm. to the the whole talk. And then at the end of it, put his hand up and said, Sir, which I didn't think anything about as a school speaker, I did find out afterwards that even though he was year six, that was the first time in his whole school journey that he'd showed an adult the respect to call them Sir or Miss, which was massive in itself. And he then went on to say, that as a result of me sharing my story, he'd like to share something that he'd never told anybody beyond his best friend. And that was until he was 18 months of age when he was adopted. Prior to that, he had been so badly physically abused that he had been left with permanent brain damage. And then not only was he able to share that moment, but in an ex-Yorkshire Mining Village, where sadly today, again, talking about mental health, the belief is still that boys don't cry. That young man then found the strength to cry the eight and a half years' worth of tears built up inside him in front of 29 of his classmates. And I often define that moment as the moment that broke me, but the moment that made me at the same time. Because from my point of view, if I never have that impact again on the hundreds and thousands of people that I share my message with, that one result will have been so worth doing what I do. And obviously from safeguarding purposes, I did check that the school were aware that that wasn't the first time that had been disclosed. And because he'd been through the adoption system they were aware of that whole story Mm -hmm. however the interesting thing was i found out that the the adopted family had followed and respected Declan's wishes and refused every counsellor and therapist and psychologist that he'd been offered along the way and because I went in there basically as Joe Public with a real life story. He was able to open up in that moment and share on that level, and and the impact of that. Much of this is not not in any way about me, but that the impact of that will stay with me for a long time. I just wasn't even planning to share that story when I came onto the interview. It just nobody we were from a teaching background, and that there will be many students struggling with lockdown at the moment. I felt that it was appropriate to share
0: that. I'm so glad oh, you did because it's such a powerful story and, and it shows the power of story when people connect with something that we've experienced. And it, it, it struck me when you said that, that if that's the only impact that, that you see from all of the talks that you give, then that one is worth it. And and I think that is a key factor of resilience in, in the. It's finding that one driver, that one reason to do what you do, that one why, as you mentioned earlier. And uh, I very much agree with it and have experienced it before where you find that driving reason to do something. And uh, I remember, as I say, working with an addict before and, and week in, week out, you know, it's watching people struggle, watching people um get up and fall again and, and keep that process going There was one man who came to the session who'd been battling with a, a severe addiction to smoking for so long and had smoked that many and, and you could see his health was deteriorated and he'd never been more than a, a few hours without a cigarette and uh, we talked to him about the tools he could use and things he could do and he, he decided in the end to get himself a paper calendar and stick it on the wall by his door and mark off each, each day that he didn't have a cigarette he would have a smiley face and at, at first it was all red <laughs> and gradually as the weeks went by there were a couple of green faces appearing and we thought hang on you know this, this is making an impact and I'll, I'll never forget that when it was related to me that he came to a, a meeting one week with a week's worth of green smiley faces and he broke down in tears and he said oh. that's the first time since I can ever remember that I've gone a full week without smoking you can't write it you know in all the work that you do in all the things that you try to do that's the one experience that that makes it worthwhile and and as a teacher sometimes you think your work doesn't have an impact and then one student comes and says thank you because of this or gives you a, a reason or something they struggled with and it just makes it worth it and, and I'm so glad you shared that story because it puts it back into perspective that it is about the one and, and again you going through that that awful Trial and you've endured for that one person to be impacted in the way that they were, that could only be reached by you. I think is the key thing, and sometimes we wonder why we're going through these experiences that we're having, and and deep down, I think sometimes it's so that when we meet that person who can only be moved by what it is that we've got to share by our story, that we can impact them, and and it takes a real individual to be able to say, I'm glad I went through what I went through because I can help this person and that that's a really selfless attitude to have but it's one that that you can already see has impacted on on so many people what's next for you and, and most importantly how would people get in touch with you if they needed to hear from somebody like you which I don't understand why they wouldn't but how would they get in touch
1: yeah, firstly in terms of what's next for me, as you've touched on, we have just had mental health week and I'm aware of how many students have been struggling. So I've I've just run a program on I say online, it was actually an online program, it was delivered live each day on Zoom because it was initially gonna be an online program and when I reached out to the parent forums online, I found the biggest challenge during lockdown was that students are missing their own peers of their own age group, so therefore I decided that when I came to run the Become a Lockdown Superhero mission, that it wasn't going to be an online programme, it was going to be delivered an hour a day each day, and therefore we'd almost set up a virtual classroom environment, overcoming that issue before I spoke my very first words Uh, The reason it was called Become a Lockdown Superhero was I wanted it to be age-appropriate for the 7 to 11-year-old age group. And I think, had I called it How to Become a More Resilient Student, it wouldn't particularly have resonated with them. And if I'd have said to them, I'm going to help you with something interesting called resilience this week, I think we'd have had the same issue. So it was Become a Lockdown Superhero and we spent the way in a fun, engaged, and interactive way, looking at how they could develop their superpower of resilience. And whilst the whole thing was resilience teaching for a week, because of the guys of it being about them becoming superheroes, and they had graduations at the end of it with certificates and everything, which went somewhere to replace the, the rite of passage that so many have missed out with the whole signing of the shirts on the last day before they went to primary school to secondary school. So I've taken all that feedback on board and tried to incorporate all that within a course. And the feedback I've had from that has been so impactful that that is certainly something I will be running again before we get to the end of lockdown, probably numerous times in all honesty. And I will be also making some amendments to that to suit the secondary school age group as well. And for anyone wanting to to get in touch with me, then uh, please reach out to me via email, roger at rogercheatham.com. My website is www.rogercheatham.com. Neither of those things about vanity. It's just to make it easier for the Mm -hmm. maximum number of people to be able to find me. And as a good friend of mine says, I'm also all over social media like a rash. So if people want to connect with me, on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, please do so. I've not quite taken the plunge and got onto TikTok yet, but while ever I'm speaking in classrooms, I don't think I'm going to be able to put that off forever. But for the meantime, that's where people are able to find me. And please don't hesitate to do so, should you feel I can be of service to you in any way.
0: Mm, wonderful! Well, this is so accommodated and, and so gracious of you to to willing to share that with us. I'm going to close with a final question and and I I don't make any apologies. It's a slightly self-indulgent question. So I I am a coach and speaker, but obviously you are speaking from a position of of great authority and great experience. There will be a lot of people, speakers, coaches, myself included, who during this pandemic time where perhaps time is a little bit more freer and and learning curves are a little bit steeper, who are looking to spread their message further, expand their their reach and... um, Network, learn, grow. What advice would you give to speakers and coaches, people in the industry who are trying to use this time productively? What advice would you give them?
1: Again, back to the advice of focusing on what you what you do still have and what you are able to do and how to do things differently. I would just say keep doing what you've always done because there are people who need to hear your message now more than ever before. And if that means swapping those deli-based physical stages in front of audiences of 2000 for the Zoom camera or Skype or Blue Jeans or whatever technology is the technology of your choice, then fully embrace that technology. And as someone that very much focuses on optimism as another pillar of resilience, I would say... Bear in mind, at the moment, you can now get in front of an international audience that you wouldn't normally be connected with without leaving your home, your office, your kitchen table, or wherever your new virtual stage happens to be.
0: Mm. I think it's wonderful. Think also
1: that The connections built during this lockdown are putting the foundations in place for what could be lifelong relationships between you and these people who, currently strangers to you moving forward when we do come out of lockdown and begin our new normal
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's great advice and and you're absolutely right some of the people i've had the privilege to speak to and connect with just on the basis of creating this series uh, has been such a joy to me people that i would never have met otherwise or perhaps not had the chance to, to engage with in this way i think we're five or six episodes in now and just some amazing stories I've heard and, and some amazing people I've had the privilege of of connecting with. So I can only thank you for, for giving up your time this morning and, and for sharing so selflessly what it is that that has had such an impact in your life, but then you've turned it around to have such an impact in, in other people's lives as well. It's just such a, a wonderful thing. In closing, I just wanted to, to ask you one final question, uh, if I may, which is... What is the, the one thing that you've learned that you wish you'd known at the beginning of all this?
1: At the beginning of my personal journey or the beginning of lockdown?
0: Uh, we'll go right back to your personal journey. So let's go back 2013. What, what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? There's,
1: there's a first for me. I would say that life is short I mean a a couple of the questions I was asking myself at that time laying in that hospital bed initially not knowing I was going to survive and then convalescing back at home after that were around me asking myself if that had been the end had I done everything I wanted to do in the world which was the first thing and second question being If that had been the end, had I made the difference in the world, had I left a legacy that I would like to have been known for? And when the answer to both of those was a big resounding no, that really made me dig deep looking forward. Mm.
0: Two very profound questions that I think we would do well to to be mindful of uh, each day. Thank you. That's really profound. I'm really grateful for everything you've shared this morning and and anybody watching this I think would would take away what I've taken away which is just a a sense of awe. Uh, When I started the series probably coming up to two months ago now in in early April I I had a hope a deep hope somewhere down there that that people would come forward and and would be willing to share what they've learned and what they know that other people might benefit And, and it was a slightly selfish indulgence because I hoped that I would learn something about myself and in the process as well. Uh, but it's, it's just been incredible. And and yours is an example of, of somebody that's just selflessly come forward and shared the very best of what they know and and what they've learned. And people, I hope watching this will feel the same way I felt, which is it's just been a time where I feel like I've stood on sacred ground and listened to, to something so, so incredible. Um, Thank you for what you've shared, and I can only hope that people will take what I've taken and and will enjoy uh, learning from what you've shared this morning. So what a privilege it's been, and thank you.
1: It's been an honour to be on the show, Simon. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share the message with your audience.
0: Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast, with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore simonspeaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.